We're workplace caregiver advocates, and we provide practical and inspirational training for working caregivers through the companies they work for. I'm Debbie Howard, and I'm a caregiver advocate, a market researcher, and a yoga enthusiast. I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm a gerontologist who has worked in global healthcare for over 20 years, launching both pharmaceuticals and devices for adults, as well as being a caregiver for my family as well. I'm Tanya Krim, market researcher, gerontologist, caregiver long distance because my parents are in London. I'm also a coffee and chocolate lover. Our mission at Caregiver Camps podcast is to expand the boundaries of thinking around where and how companies can support their caregiving employees. We hope you enjoy this episode today. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Caregiver Camp podcast. Today, we're really excited because we have a very special guest. Today's guest is Laura Van Riper. She's a highly regarded and successful psychotherapist with multiple offices in Connecticut. Laura earned her master's degree from Columbia University in clinical social work and received her BA in psychology from Boston College. Laura studied with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, where she learned the sciences and skills of meditation, guided imagery, biofeedback, and self-expression in words, drawings, and movement. She is fluent in CBT, DBT, 12-step work, play therapy, and is also certified in somatic experiencing and trained in EMDR and evidence-based trauma treatment. We're really excited to have Laura today. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much, John. I will say this is a first for me. I have never done a podcast before. Well, we'll try to make it a little bit easy on you, but we're still going to ask those tough questions. Okay, I'm ready. Hit me with them. Excellent. Today, a lot of companies are coming out of the post-COVID era. Some of them are back to work already. Some of them are are, uh, going through a hybrid work experience, and some of them are asking their employees to come in full-time. As you know, Caregiver Camps focuses on helping companies give the care to their caregivers so they can perform better and achieve a better work-life caring integration, because there is no such thing as caregiver balance. So Laura, can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of stress and anxiety a caregiver might experience, just a caregiver in general first, and then we'll get to ones that are, are working? Absolutely. And I can tell you that even among my clients who do not work outside of the home, many who are caring for children and an aging parent or parents are completely overwhelmed. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I assume that now that people have to go back to work and they've been been able to sort of manage work from home and do some more caregiving sort of mixed into the mix, it's even more difficult for working caregivers. Can you tell us the kinds of psychotherapist kinds of conditions these people might experience? Caregivers in general, I think, are already more vulnerable to anxiety, depression, anytime somebody's the demands on us are exceeding what I would consider to be a humane level the first thing to go is usually going to be our resilience. And that's what we need to weather life's ups and downs. I am finding that in my practice, people who are working and taking care of whether it's children or an aging parent are often complaining of insomnia. And, you know, when I think of the ripple effects of the head of a household being sleep deprived and how that impacts everyone in the household and then that impacts the person at work and their employer, I think it's pretty profound because we can't think well, we can't really regulate our emotion well if we are sleep deprived. 
That certainly makes sense. Uh, I've been sleep deprived for the past few days and I can barely manage this podcast. So I know what it's like. <laughs> it's um, no fun. Yeah, it is no fun. So these caregivers that are, are having to work, what are the kinds of things that maybe their manager is seeing that they're not attributing to the stresses of caregiving? What are the kinds of behaviors or things a manager should be looking out for? You know, just to get this out there, I think, you know, most employers know this. I remember from my days in human resources, learning that the number one cause of disability in the U.S. is depression. And sometimes we can't tell that someone around us is depressed. They might seem just sad, or they might always have seemed like someone who's negative, but it's a really big problem because depression just isn't about sadness. It also can affect people's thinking, which of course is going to affect their work. So you want to be looking for someone who has had a good attendance record and is having increased absenteeism, or maybe they're showing up late. Their quality of work, has it changed? Their communication, if you're seeing them live, you know, how does their hygiene seem? It's amazing how many people who are depressed have a hard time even showering every day, which of course has ripple effect. You know, the other thing is, you know, I think a lot of people miss some of the signs of anxiety. If you're sitting with somebody at a meeting, somebody who's endlessly shaking their foot, or tapping the table. You know, I think we're quick in America to write that off. It's just, oh, that person has a lot of energy or that person's hyper, but often that's a sign of anxiety. So those are some of the things that come to mind that you might see in the workplace. Also just having a short fuse with colleagues, somebody who hasn't had a short fuse before having a short fuse, that can also be a sign of anxiety or depression. Hmm, that's really very interesting. So if a manager starts to see these things and they suspect it's something more than having anger management issues and, and other, other things going on, and they might suspect that this person is a caregiver, how would you suggest they approach them? What, what would you recommend if someone said, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this in, in the workplace, so-and-so employee is, is exhibiting these behaviors you know, what kinds of things can I say to find out how they're doing and offer some support? Well, I, I think first and foremost, the managers need to know who's working for them. And I know this varies company to company in terms of how many people are reporting to a manager, but employees are not going to respond well if a manager approaches them and says, hey, you know, I noticed this thing, you know, you've been late three times this week or the reports you've been writing have slipped if they don't have a good sense for who this person is as a human being first. So I really encourage managers to get to know their employees and to actually have sincere interest in their lives. And I think there's a way to do that, by the way, without endless personal talk in the office. I think that can be done in short snippets on and off throughout the week. Because I find it can take me several sessions or with some people even several months for clients to open up to me. So that trust has to be developed first. But from there, I think just asking a really general question, how are you doing? Are you okay? There's been so much going on as we're emerging from COVID. How are things at home? And then I would take it from there. 
they'll lead you if they're going to be open to sharing with you. I, I, I agree that it's a difficult conversation to have. I think uh, we found in our research, and there's other bodies of research out there that support this, that a lot of caregiving employees are afraid to raise their hand or afraid to say something because they might get laid off, replaced, of passed over for a promotion, all sorts of negative consequences. So is there something more at the company level that they can do, similar to what they do, I think, at the Cleveland Clinic, where you wear a pink ribbon if you're a caregiver and going through a bit of a hard time so people can see it? You know, sort of creating a culture, a corporate culture of caring. What would you recommend companies do in that regard if you have any recommendations? You know, what I find is a pervasive problem across the culture, and I would imagine even more so with caregivers, is this feeling of loneliness and isolation. How do they know who else in the company is going through something similar unless there's not some type of way to have these people identified? So if there could be possibly a lunch and learn or some other forum for these people to communicate with each other. I don't want to go so far as to say a support group per se, but just to know there's other people in their workplace they can talk to that are going through similar concerns. And also for the managers, I think it's key that managers and especially senior management really understand what the corporate culture is around supporting caregivers because we know it has to stem from the top. So can they use personal days, you know, paid personal time off for this and exactly how they can feel supported because time, support, other resources are what seems to always be pressing when people have all these multiple demands on them. That makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, a lot of companies are starting to realize that they need to create this kind of corporate culture if they're going to be able to retain and recruit the employees that are in, in the marketplace right now in what will be, I think, a completely changed environment moving forward. Well, when I think of the fact that, you know, I know you're a baby boomer, I'm a baby boomer, and we look at all of us that are aging and the demands that we'll put in the next 10, 20, 30 years on our children and companies and our culture at large, yes, I think it's going to be an exponential challenge for not just companies, but our whole culture to take on, especially now with what's happened with the lack of trust in nursing homes with COVID and more and more people moving towards aging in their own homes. Yes, definitely aging in place. And if they're not aging in their own homes, they might be aging in the place of this caregiver. In the, in their home, um, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of lot of pressure that we're we're seeing in in the market. So someone has either depression or anxiety. How do you approach them? What 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 are your steps towards assessment and some of the ways you treat them? Well, it varies by person. Some people come to me to work on a specific challenge. And often, and the other therapists, if any of you are listening, know this well. Often, what we get is the reason that someone comes to therapy as their stated reason ends up not being what we end up working on. But if someone comes in depressed, we set up a treatment plan to work on their particular symptoms of depression because it varies from person to person. One person might be losing weight and not sleeping 
Whereas another person might be having a lot of feelings of unwarranted guilt, very low self-esteem, having trouble getting out of bed in the morning. So we will simultaneously work on some practical strategies to get them moving again. For instance, somebody who is spending too much time, I get this with teenagers a lot in their bedroom, and this can happen with adults. And this is a beware too, you know, for working from home, maybe a blessing and a curse, a depressed person might end up spending 24 hours in their bedroom if they live in an apartment, and it might be their office and their bedroom. So getting them a change of scenery, making a plan for them to leave their home safely. So it really does vary. I find, again, with this theme of loneliness and isolation, which got so magnified during COVID, um, validating that this person is not alone in these feelings. And often there's things that are lingering from the person's past that we work through and try to make sense of and see how they're impacting their current lives and how they might want to shape them into healthier patterns and more fulfilling patterns. You mentioned both depression and anxiety as two more common outcomes from the caregiving and work experience. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about the treatments that someone like you offers? So first, let's start off with at what juncture is intervention by a therapist a good idea? I mean, I am sure it varies by person. But I'm sure there's also levels where it's almost mandatory right, or highly right. suggested. So what would you say, you know, are the I can't work through it myself triggers that move on to getting help? Well, first, let me say that almost every single time someone gets into my office for the first appointment, they would have benefited from help either months or years ago. We know, unfortunately, that there is still a decent sized stigma towards mental health challenges in our country. Luckily, I've seen it improve greatly or reduce rather the stigma. But what we know for sure is the earlier, the better. And a very simple way to think about it is as soon as somebody's symptoms start interfering with their quality of life and or the quality of life of their loved ones, it's time to get professional help. That's that's great. So this person is is trying to hold down a job and, and caregiving. Do you see any differences by race, by gender? Are there some populations that are hit harder than others? Are the things that you see in your practice or the materials that you read in your field that talk about the additional stresses that might be on a Black or Hispanic caregiver versus a white one or? Absolutely. I will say, you know, where I practice in Westport, Connecticut, I work for the most part with a socioeconomically privileged population relative to the rest of the United States. And I do not currently have many people of color, unfortunately, in my practice. But I do know from what I read that we've done a crummy job in our country, for sure, of making sure there's ample opportunity for people who have been discriminated against historically, and we have a ways to go to catch up, and the job opportunities are less, therefore the pay is less. 
And that's going to have the ripple effect in those families' ability, everything from having enough cars to get family members around, especially with multi-generational families. And here in Connecticut, for example, public transportation is seriously lacking. So just being short a car in a family like this is going to cause problems that ripple through with caregiving. So disproportionately, my practice is women. And disproportionately, I find the older the woman, the more traditional. And again, this is a bit of a generalization. But in my practice, the older the woman is, the more likely they are to have a more traditional family structure where the woman is trying to do it all, so to speak. And I see many women continuing to be stuck in this superwoman mentality that they can do it all, including work, and it's really not serving anybody. They're holding on, you know, by their fingernails, really. Yeah, it's, it's got to be uh, very, very tough. And, and there's been a, I think, a larger migration of women from the workplace during COVID and fewer of them are returning back to their original jobs. So I think you really might be onto something there where they're realizing they can't, they can't do it all and they're having to make some really hard choices. Absolutely, because I can't even imagine you know, going back to a low paying job, for example, when the nursing home possibly that your parent was in has been closed down from COVID violations, or you don't trust the nursing home anymore. So all of a sudden you have this parent living in your home. These are just untenable choices people are having to make. So you have some amazing qualifications. Some of them I've really heard very little about. Could you tell us what DBT is. Could you tell us what somatic experiencing is? Can you tell us what EMDR is and how they might play a role in helping anxious or depressed or just totally stressed out caregivers? Sure. I really tailor those different treatments to people based on what a client wants to get out of their work with me. EMDR for example, has been really helpful with people who have a trauma history um, and come in wanting to work on specific incidents that are plaguing them still with symptoms. So that's something that I have found really helpful for people, you know, whether they had some very difficult childhood experiences or In this area, for example, people still are having traumatic memory from a loved one's experience or their experience during 9-11. So it can be very helpful for that type of work. The other modality I use a lot in my practice is called somatic experiencing. It is another trauma treatment, but it also helps people release chronic stress and anxiety. And the way I like to think about it is it's a great way to access the body as an additional tool to heal. You know, in our culture, we're so up in our heads. And most of us were raised in an environment where it was all about the mind and thinking. And those of us who were over 30 did not, for the most part, get any kind of curriculum about emotions and how to deal with them in school. I'm so pleased to see that schools are doing some of that now. But I find people come in and they know what their thoughts are. Often they'll know their feelings, they know their story, but they're completely cut off from their bodies. And I'm finding more and more the body is just a fantastic 
resource for healing what ails us, so to speak. And it knows, the body knows what's going on. So I help people connect to their bodies and use it to help themselves feel more safe, which of course, coming through the pandemic is what most of us need to get a sense of safety, but it can also help release trauma, help release anxiety and help heal some depression as well. Would you say that for some people where the caregiving is such a stress and it can go on for years, it can go on for even decades in some cases, but certainly, Mm -hmm. you know, the average is, you know, four to six years of caregiving per person you're caring for. Can that in and of itself initiate trauma? Caregiving? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, think about it. If you're caring for someone you love that has, let's take Alzheimer's disease, imagine the stresses of seeing that person change before your eyes and eventually lose memory and then also physical capacity. It's devastating. So if you take somebody who's already under stress and then you have them go through that and not have supports at home. And remember, we have more and more people living in single parent homes, that person is more likely to lose their resilience, lose their coping abilities. And this is where I think companies can be really, really helpful to stay in touch with their employees and at least have an outline of what's going on in their personal lives. So I, I know that also in your your prior to becoming a psychotherapist, you had a, a human resources background. Mm-hmm. And we're finding that resilience, which you've talked beautifully about so far, uh, is just one part of the equation. Also building a sense of trust. There's the corporate level trust, the trust between the employee and the manager and trust between employee to employee. Are there ways that you would suggest either either using your psychotherapist background, which is a great human skill, or your uh, human resources experience, which is also a great human skill to build that kind of trust and resilience? Within the company? Yeah, with the, with the, either within the company or at least within a, a from a team to a group of employees by a manager. Yes, I think I think it's easy when we are in work mode to get well to succumb really to the pressures that all companies have. They're, let's face it, they're there to make money, and it's very hard, I think, to just give ourselves, and I'm putting myself in the category because I once was a manager, as a manager, to slow down enough to sit there and have breakfast or have lunch with an employee, a group of employees, and make it okay to talk about life. I think there is a fine line between a little bit of sharing about a personal life and, you know, going on and on and having it turn into something where, it gets too personal. And that's where I think some good training can come in for managers and how to have good boundaries that way. But I think we lose a lot if there's too much focus on profit short term in terms of seeing the employee as a human being, seeing what they experience through a decade or more of their lives and risk losing them because they've got too much going on and are scared to put up their hands. Let's face it, caregivers face a double stigma if they have any level of anxiety or depression or let's say substance abuse. 
Substance use disorders, by the way, as you probably know, have absolutely exploded with COVID. So that's another thing employers are going to need to be attuned to Mm -hmm. is people who are struggling with addiction. But those people facing a double stigma, oh, no, if I raise my hand because I need help because I can't take care of my mother and my kindergartner at the same time and keep this job. Oh, and by the way, I've developed a, a nightly bottle of wine habit. That person with the right help can get back on their feet, possibly relatively quickly. And I think the benefits of that compared to having to lose them, lose the time of the job search, and then retrain a new employee, you know, have to be considered carefully. So if, if, let's assume that uh, you were giving some advice to someone who can't afford (laughs) to come in and see a psychotherapist right now and is, is, can barely take the time. Mm -hmm. Are there some things that you could recommend them to do on a, either a day by day or a weekly basis to at least ground and center themselves, whether it's journaling or... I think what, again, I know I've said it several times, I can't stress enough how isolated many people feel. And I I think the first thing is for them to challenge themselves to open up and confide in someone, someone they trust in their personal lives. And in addition to that, you know, for anxiety, for example, besides good sleep, we know exercise of some form is really, really important. And we tend to be more successful with getting some exercise if we have an exercise buddy. So to see if there's a friend who can walk with you a couple times a week, journaling is great and meditation is great. There's a couple of free meditation apps out there. So that is something that can be super helpful. That's free for people who are struggling with alcoholism. There are a lot of virtual AA groups meeting right now. So that's another free resource. Another I find underutilized resources, many, many people we know, for example, one in four families are affected in some way by addiction. And I I think the number is probably higher now after COVID. Al-Anon. Al-Anon Worldwide is another really great organization for people who are affected by someone else's drinking. They have a ton of virtual meetings going on right now. They have a website with links to those virtual meetings. Talk to your clergy person if you're a churchgoer. And there are also other online support groups. Also, SAMHSA, which is the government organization for substance abuse and for mental health, has free resources on there and information on their website as well. That's great. That's that's very, very helpful. You know, I was wondering if uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a large number of caregivers have, in addition to the person they're caring for, they might be caring for someone with a substance abuse problem, which probably has a greater stigma than saying, I am taking care of my, you know, 85-year-old mother who is experiencing some dement- dementia. So even that has got some stigma issues back at the office. Uh, we're going to be even more reluctant to raise your hand saying uh, you're a caregiver. Exactly. So you're exactly. saying that it's actually critical that they do raise their hand regardless of the condition that is uh, that they're caring for. Exactly. And depending on what the caregiver is dealing with and what the company culture and size are, it may not be necessary or appropriate for the caregiver to reveal exactly what they're dealing with. But just to say, I am having an incredible caregiving related stress right now. And 
I want to talk to you about what my options are for support and or time. Mm-hmm. So uh, we know a lot of people turn to their, if they can, uh, to their employee assistance program that their company hopefully offers or may may offer. But I think that a lot of them are so stressed out that by the time they get there, it's panic decision and they're just cherry picking the one thing they need to get them uh, over the hump. Would you recommend any longer term courses either in a, you know in advance of having to reach into that assistance program or or afterwards? Are there some ongoing things? Uh, I'm certainly happy to add any of the organizations, links to the organizations to your podcast. So we'll do that, listeners. Um, but is there anything else that you'd recommend for them to do? Yes. I can't stress enough to talk to friends, talk to neighbors, don't isolate. I think even going for a short walk around the block, you know, I talked to a client the other day who realized that with COVID, she had stopped going to a church that she had found incredibly supportive. And she's been feeling really isolated and alone because she's been working from home during the pandemic and is finding herself losing touch with some of her friends. So to get back to some of those things and to even try maybe joining some new organizations. So any way you can connect with people is, I think, the best recommendation I can make right now. That's wonderful. Well, Laura, I I can't thank you enough for being our guest and providing both insight into the the mental health side of what caregivers are going through and some ways that companies and managers can help support them. I really appreciate that. And I cannot thank you enough for being our guest today. Oh, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, we're glad to be doing it. Thank you so much, Laura. All right. Take good care. Bye-bye. This is another episode of Caregiver Camp Podcasts. Please tune in next time where we'll have another amazingly interesting guest for you to learn how caregivers and your organization can both prosper together. Till next time, this is John Brody for Caregiver Camps. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is Debbie Howard. This is Tanya Krim. And I'm Jonathan Brody. We are the hosts of Caregiver Camps podcast. Please feel free to share our podcast and consider joining us for new perspectives in creating more productive, caregiver-friendly workplaces. Come visit us at caregivercamps.com to learn more about how we can help your company. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time at Caregiver Camps Podcast.